Today we are talking to Tommy Weatherholtz of Weatherholtz Bonding. Weatherholtz Bonding covers all of West Virginia, Virginia, and Maryland. We're going to break down what bail bonding is, why it's important, when you need it, and then we're going to break down something called the House Bill 2419 that he's involved in. I hope you learned as much as I do. Have you heard of Bracken's painting? I started Bracken's painting back in 2011. We do both residential and commercial painting. We have contractors licenses in West Virginia and Virginia, and we carry all the necessary insurances, like workers' comp, general liability. Uh, we operate a small staff that focuses on meeting the homeowner's needs and project manager's timeline expectations. Uh, we, pri we try to have exceptional attention to detail. If you're interested in doing any sort of commercial or residential painting, please contact Bracken's Painting. More information can be found at www.brackenspainting.com. Today's intro music is a song called Saving Lives and Taking Wives. It is written and produced by Peter Clark, my cousin. Actually, my wife's cousin, but I'll take him as my cousin because he's a pretty cool dude. He, um dropped an album called Peter Clark After Dark. He's been producing electronic, loungy, make-out music for years, and he's been nice enough to let me use it on this podcast. You can reach Peter Clark for bookings or just to hear his music on SoundCloud. Just search Peter Clark After Dark. Okay, Tommy, thanks for being on the podcast with me. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Um, so who is Tommy? Where are you from? Tell me a little bit about yourself professionally. Well, I am a West Virginia native. I graduated from Musselman High School in 1993. Um, I, after graduation, I enlisted into the United States Marine Corps. I served my first four years active. Um, I, I got out of the Marine Corps, and then, re, then I re-enlisted into the uh, Marine Corps Reserves. Uh, in 99, I was looking for work. I was offered a job as a bell bondsman. I didn't know what a bell bondsman was either then. Never heard of one. Um, and that was here in Jefferson County? Well, 23rd Circuit, which is Berkeley, Jefferson, and Morgan okay. uh, counties. Uh, I worked for that company for about eight years. Um, wanted to get away from it, so I decided to open my own company. Uh, I was recalled to the Marine Corps in 2004. Uh, I had to, so I served a year in Iraq. Um, and when I returned is when I broke away from the company I was with and, and actually opened Weatherholtz Bonding. Okay, so um, describe how it was when you were just an employee, you know, when you didn't own the, uh, how, how, what would your day or week look like? How, how busy were you? Well, uh, the 23rd Circuit, uh, the courthouse is open, you know, regular business hours from, you know, 9 to 4, 8 to 5, different, you know, some of them kind of fluctuate. Uh, at that time, we would have hearings we'd have to attend. Uh, you would have people that were arrested during the day. We'd go to the courthouse and get them out. Now, when the courts close down at 5 o'clock, uh, they have an on-call magistrate. So if somebody gets arrested after hours, the Supreme Court uh, magistrate court rule hours say that the magistrate has to come in in the evening and do the arraignment. Uh, and on the weekends, they have to come in once in the morning and once in the evening to do arraignments. So a lot of times in the evenings, I'm at the courthouse. And when we get done at the courthouse, then we have to go, once we get the release and post a bond with the court, 
uh, we go to the jail, and then we have to process the defendant, you know, collect all their information, their photos, and, you know, things of that nature. So we don't really get much time off. Okay, I get you. I get you. And then, so how how many years did you, were you a bail bondsman before you, as you said, you went to Iraq for a year because you got called back in? So I, about... I started at the end of 99. I opened my own company in April of 2008. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so how is it different owning it versus working for one? A lot more responsibility. Right. Um, a lot more administrative. Uh, when I was just an agent for another company, you know, I had contractual obligations to post the bonds, collect the information, collect any money owed or premium due, and to recover any of the people that I that I had signed for, you know, if they skipped bond and we had to go chase them, it was my responsibility to go wherever they were to bring them back to the court. And that's inside West Virginia and outside West Virginia? Anywhere in the country. Okay. With the exceptions of, uh, say, Oregon and Kentucky that doesn't recognize the authority of a bondsman. So we, if we arrest somebody in one of those states, we will go to jail for kidnapping. Okay. Um. Well, I have, since I know so little about this industry, I have a ton of what would probably sound like really basic questions. Uh, but let's start with, why does somebody need a bondsman? I mean, I understand I get arrested, but I've never been arrested in this, I mean, where I need a bondsman. So how, how, does, that, how does it work, and why would I need one, and how do I contact you? Okay, well, uh, there are three types of bonds that the courts can give you. And... Generally, they give you all three. Uh, sometimes, if you're a high risk or you're, you know, a threat society, they'll give you what's called a cash-only bond, which means you can't use a bondsman. If they give you a $2,500 cash-only bond, you have to produce $2,500 to the court only to get that person out. But generally, they give you what's called a cash bond, property bond, or surety bond. Uh, we're the surety. Uh, so, if you get arrested, you don't necessarily need a bondsman. Uh, if you get a $2,500 bond and your family has the whole $2,500, they could take it directly to the court. And when your case is exonerated, meaning you went to, went to court, everything is done, you get your $2,500 back. Oh, okay. Uh, if you own property, generally it has to be in West Virginia. Uh, you can go to the county clerk and get what's called a justification of surety. And they'll give you this justification of surety. You take that to the magistrate, and then they encumber your property for the bond. And then it's released once you go to court. If you have neither, then you call a bondsman. And that's guilty and not guilty, as long as you go to court. This is for parents only. The only thing, okay. all three of them are doing is ensuring the defendant's appearance in court. Okay. There's nothing to do with the case uh, or the outcome of the case. So with a bondsman, uh, traditionally it's always been a, a, a mandatory or 10% in the state of West Virginia. The, the law just recently changed that we can charge a minimum of 10% now. So we could charge more if we wanted to, but uh, if you're walking around charging more than your competitor, you're not going to be a business loan. Sure. You know, the standard's 10% in the industry. So you pay us 10%, we post a bond for you, and then we're responsible for you if you don't go to court. Okay, and then, so every case when somebody is arrested or charged with something, it, it goes before the magistrate. Correct. And um, so if I get charged for trespassing, I have to be taken into custody for all this to, to happen. Correct. And again, I sound really 
I, I just I have not been busted for anything. So I, I really I'm just trying to walk my walk my simple mind down this path here. Um, is there a case when you don't need a bondsman? Yes. Uh, the magistrate has the discretion to release you on what's called a personal recognizance bond. Okay. So you'll still get a bond. And say the magistrate will give you a $5,000 bond. But if she marks it as a personal recognizance bond, you will be responsible for the 5000 should you fail to appear. I see. Okay. Um, when somebody does not appear and they pay, let's say it was a $2,500 bond and they paid two fifty. Like their family member paid two fifty to get them out. Correct. Right? You have to then go recover them. How do you go about finding where they are? Oh, well, generally the uh, co-signer uh, will, will find them because they don't want to pay that forfeiture. They don't want to be responsible. But we have investigative databases uh, that are very, very informative. Uh, and everything you do, regardless of you realize it or not, you leave a paper trail everywhere you go. Okay, so it's almost like a, uh, almost like a private detective. You're you're digging to find the person. Yes. And then, um, what if they're in Texas, that they ran or they ran to Florida? Then you, we go to Florida and get them. So you fly or drive to Florida. Yes. Because you have a hunch they're at a certain apartment building or they're working no, somewhere. No, we, we or... generally don't travel that far unless we have pretty solid evidence. Right. right okay. Like uh, Robert and I just went to uh, Miami. Robert Clopper is one of my, actually he's my main agent okay. uh, for this area, and we flew down to Miami, arrested the guy, and then transported him back. Uh, we just did a recovery for Jefferson County um, in West Side Baltimore. Okay. Just what last week. Okay. Um. What else is interesting about recovery that you think I, I would want to know? Uh, you know, I'm not actually a big fan of doing recoveries. I'd rather help out 100 people than put one back in jail. But So yeah. what is the percentage of recoveries you think you have to do? Well, or is it different from across the state, I assume? No, it's pretty much standard. I, I, w I would say if we bond 10 people, you're going to figure three of them are going to miss court. Okay. And out of that three, you're going to have... The car broke down on the way to court. You're going to have just the dummy that's irresponsible, got his days mixed up, and you're gonna, then you're going to have the runner. So. Okay. And then, man, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around, around this. From a business point of view, my family pay. I have a $2,500 bond. My family pays you $250. How do you make money out of that? Well... I'm underwritten by insurance. There's two types of bondsmen in the state of West Virginia. You have a surety bondsman and a property bondsman. Um, I write on both property and surety. Uh, surety means that you're underwritten by an insurance company. Property means you put up your farm or your home with the courts and you're using that as collateral to write bonds. Um, so, for example, the insurance company underwrites me and every bond that I write, they get a percentage of. So, and that goes into our overhead. We have the office, we have the, the telephones, the yellow pages, you know, and all that. So if you pay me $250, a portion of that $250 premium goes to the insurance company. And then I pay the agent their commission. And then after that, the company gets whatever, you know, whatever's left over. 
if you go to court, I get my 2500 back plus the 250 that you paid me, that you already paid me. So if you don't go to court, then we lose money because then we got the expense of hunting you down, travel fees, you know, informant fees, things like that. So the, so the 10% is a non-refundable? The 10% is non-refundable. All right, that was the piece that I was missing there. Okay, cool. Um, you're in all counties of West Virginia. And this podcast is primarily for West Virginia, so I know you're in Virginia and Maryland also. All right, but... Well, we're in 52 counties in West Virginia. Okay. Three, three counties we're not in. Uh, we're not in McDowell, Harrison, or Fayette. The Harrison County judge won't allow bondsmen into his county. Okay. Wow. So the judge can control whether you're able to do business? Yeah, the chief judge of any circuit court in West Virginia has a lot of authority. Is there a limit to how many bondsmen can be in a certain area? No. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking resources-wise, as a businessman myself, the 10%, even though it's non-refundable, I guess, what are the average size bonds? Um, depends on the court. Uh, the average size bond around here is anywhere from five to $10,000. Okay. Unless it's, you know, there's... The previous judge kind of put a whip on uh, drug activities. So anybody gets caught uh, with possession with the intent to deliver or any type of distribution charges, they usually get smacked pretty hard. I mean, they're talking a $100,000 bond. Okay. Okay, I, I, for some reason I keep using this $2,500 bond in my head. And $2,500—they're uh, pretty rare anymore. Well, Jefferson County gives lower bonds than Berkeley County, um, but for DUI, Berkeley County standards, right around $5,000 for a bond. Um, uh, you know, but it's the master's discretion. There's no guidelines. They can set the bond at anything they want. Okay, and it—and that's judged on the likelihood of them showing up their well, history i think the their... biggest thing is is judged on um threat to community uh their willingness or what you think their ability to to appear in court is and are they going to reoffend while they're out on bond okay so that brings me to some of the ramblings that i've been hearing about the house bill 2419 Yes. And I don't want to speak to what I've heard because I, I tend to only hear bits and pieces and then I don't really understand it all. So why don't you break down what House Bill 2419 is um, and what your role with it is? Okay. So first, know that I'm the president of the West Virginia Bell Association. Uh, so I am at the Capitol quite often talking to the House, the delegates, the senators, um, you know, kind of like a, so to speak, the state's witness, expert witness. Okay. So 2419 is a, is a bail reform bill. There's a delegate shot out of Mercer County. Uh, he's been presenting this bill since 2012. Uh, basically, it takes discretion away from the court, away from the magistrate, because most all criminal cases start at the magistrate court level uh, unless it's some kind of crazy you know direct indictment uh, 
er, almost every criminal case in the state of West Virginia starts at the magistrate court level. So what they're trying to do is take discretion away from the court, from the magistrate. Uh, and uh, they use the word shall in the code, which mandates. Shall. Shall. S-H-A-L-L. Okay. Uh, the magistrate shall release. Gotcha. Um, basically, all misdemeanor crimes in the state of West Virginia, with the exception of five, uh, there is five in the code that, that says that the magistrate can show good cause and set magistrate, and that's uh, it's a misdemeanor offense of actual violence or threat of violence against a person, a misdemeanor, misdemeanor offense where the victim was a minor, use of a deadly weapon, the Uniform Controlled Substance Act, or any serious misdemeanor traffic offense. Uniform Contro uh, Controlled Substance Act, what is that? That's uh, basically the drug act, buying, selling, gotcha, using, okay. possession. All right. Um, which is bizarre because there was, I believe it was a Marshall County delegate filed an amendment when this was in the House, because uh, it's already passed the House, it's in the Senate level, or actually in the Senate Judiciary Committee right now. But they actually filed an amendment to remove the Uniform Control Substance Act, which is bizarre. West Virginia's at the all-time high opiate crisis right now, and they're asking for the courts just to let them go. If you want to sell dope to our kids, no problem. You're right. PR'd. You're back on the street. Yeah, and ultimately, this bill is going to be bad because you know it's going to lead to our law enforcement just not making arrests as often as they should because there's no point. So run, run me through that real quick then. So if... Uh if I'm spray painting on the side of a building, something as simple a as property that. property crime. Okay. And then cops come and get me. They're going to take it to the magistrate's court, and no sooner than they get the report typed up, the magistrate's going to, not the magistrate's choice, is going to have to let you go. So then why bother? Exactly. So that means the police will eventually, I mean, I assume the police will eventually lose motivation for lower crimes. Well, I'd say they lose some. I right. mean, the law enforcement's always going to do their job. Right. You know, but, I mean, they're going to be, I mean, felonies are still felonies in West Virginia. They're not affected by the bill. Ah. So uh, this is misdemeanor only. Gotcha. I, in my mind, like, remember back when they tried to make skateboarding illegal? <laughs> you know, the cops would show up and say, just get out of here. Yes. Whereas... If they wanted to, they could take your skateboard and throw it in the trunk and throw it back could. in the car. And, there, and there's not a problem with law enforcement doing that. But at some point, if that law enforcement officer has to do it 27 times in one day, you know, eventually they're going to say, okay, enough's enough. I've, I've been cool now. You know, right. You're going to force my hand on this. Okay. So does it, so House Bill 2419 does not a, is only for misdemeanors. Yes. Uh, what are some very common misdemeanors? Uh well possession possession okay. less than 15 grams um you have i mean dui but dui is a felony no no only third offense okay first and second still misdemeanor in the state of west virginia i mean there's a ton of trespassing disorderly conduct public intoxication i mean it, the, the list just goes on when you with misdemeanors i mean i could rattle them all day long but i'd have to sit here and yeah, i got you focus on okay what misdemeanors fall outside of these brackets i got you so the ones that are excluded are like drug sales uh buying selling drugs uh, assault uh if it involves a minor what was one of the other ones uh, serious traffic offense serious traffic offense okay 
So give me an example of where this really fails. Okay. So, I mean, one, with the kids, the kids, let me rephrase that, the criminal, who the, re, the repeat offender, who knows they're not going to jail. Uh, there's no respect for the court, and there's no respect for the law enforcement. Uh, you know, if you look at New York right now, I just watched a video the other day where a guy walked right out of the precinct, punched, punched the officer in the face. Uh, they rolled around, they tased him, smacked him a couple times in the ass to get him under control, uh, walking back into the courthouse and right back on the street he is again because they have no discretion. They have to let him go. You know, so this guy is a threat. You know, not only to the safety of the public, but to the safety of our law enforcement, and it, they won't put him in jail because of this. Um, and I watched a, a clip the other day where there was illegal, not not even U.S. citizens selling dope. Uh, the judge had to let him go. The people in the courtroom stood up applauding as they walked out of the courtroom. That's insane. Right. I never thought that I'd see a day there would be such a lack of respect for law enforcement or the courts. Um, and the biggest issue is that the magistrate, this bill's redundant. The magistrate already has the discretion to PR anybody they want to. And, and as a bondsman, I'm not opposed to PR bonds. You know, because if you got somebody, say, for example, uh, that was born and raised here in Jefferson County, they have a home, they have a family, they have a job, and it's a low level, it's a low misdemeanor crime. Uh, that person shouldn't have to post bond, you know, unless they got a history of felon to appear for court. You know, the guy's got property, you know, he's got grassroots here. There's no reason for that guy to have to pay money to get out of jail. Now, the kid from Hagerstown, you know, he's an out-of-state resident. You know, what's the chances of him coming back? It's a misdemeanor. We, West Virginia, will not extradite on misdemeanors. So the only recourse they have is for the bondsmen across state lines to bring them back. Uh, that's, that's a major point right there. Okay, so this bill, what could be shifted to make it work? Well, I sat in a four-hour meeting the other day at, at the Capitol with uh, Senator Trump, who's chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senate Judiciary Committee. And in that meeting, I had my lobbyist, uh, the, one of the association's lobbyists, uh, the presidents of the Judges Association, the Magistrates Association, the Prosecutors Association, the County Commissioners, Public Defenders, the ACLU. Everybody was in attendance at this meeting. And you know, some were for it, most are against it. Obviously, the ACLU is always pushing, always, always pushing bail reform, which, you know, by the way, I, I think I told you earlier, bail reform is just a dressed up word for the county's tired and broke for paying jail bills. So they're trying to figure out how to lower the jail cost. You know, okay. This isn't the way. Uh, you know, you know, the American for Prosperities uh, has some great uh, solutions that they're presenting at the Capitol for like alternative sentence, reduced jail time. But the bail reform and trying to reduce the jail costs at the front end of the case is not the way to go. You're going to lose. You're going to end up with a stack of warrants, failure to appear, cases a mile high, and nobody to go get them. That means on misdemeanor crimes uh, where there's victims, there's no, you know, they never come back to courts. There's no court costs paid. There's no restitution to the victims in the case, uh, and they could be living in Boonesboro, Sharpsburg, right across the state line, and we can't go get them.
it's because there's no bonds. Police can't go get them. There's no bond, yeah. Gotcha. Well, we, we, we operate underneath uh, a Supreme Court ruling or opinion, should I say, not a ruling. Uh, Taylor versus Tainer, 1974, which, say, which basically states that the bondsman may pursue and Sabbath interstate. Now, there are some states that have their own laws that we have, you know, we, well, we have to follow everybody's laws. Uh, but, like, say, for example, in Kentucky, we, we can't enter the state of Kentucky. Uh, Oregon, we can't enter the state of Oregon. Now, there are ways to apprehend a fugitive. Like, for example, in Kentucky, we have to, uh, I'd have to go to the chief judge of that county in Kentucky, present the case to him, and if the judge agrees with it, and the judge agrees with West Virginia, he'll send his law enforcement out, bring him back to the courthouse, and hand him over to me. But I'm not allowed, you know, to kick in the door right. and drag him out. So, bail reform is another way of saying that the counties are tired of paying high jail fees. Absolutely. So they think that taking the discretion away from the magistrates eliminates the amount of people entering jail. And with, I guess, a fee or a price could be put on each inmate per day, basically. Yes. And they're like, let's just... Let's just shut down the flow of inmates, even if they're there for a short amount of time. Right. Which will lower the the budget. So, well, I think what the goal is is to try to prevent them from hitting the jail. But the problem with it is, we don't have 24-hour magistrate in West Virginia. They still got to go to jail. So, the moment they hit that jail, day one, you're charged. And right. If they go in after midnight. The magistrate leaves, so Jefferson County is kind of 8 o'clock is what time they generally, all of them, do their arraignments. Okay. So once they leave at 8 o'clock, that's it from the night until morning. So if somebody in Jefferson County gets arrested at 9 p.m. and hits the jail prior to midnight, that's one day charge. 1201A or 1201A a.m., there's another day charge. So even if they took the discretion away from the court, the people are still sitting in jail and they're still getting jail calls or jail fees paid. You know, that's it. The Public Defenders Association and uh, this meeting with Senator Trump the other day, and these are rough numbers, said that there was 14,000 misdemeanors um, incarcerated in the state of West Virginia. Now that 14,000, there was probably right around 4,500 of those were able to post bond within the 24 hours. So the remainder of them uh, set in jail. Now, of course, bail reform has been pushing that the bail bonding industry discriminate, discriminates against the poor and the indigent. Okay. Which we don't. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We don't set the bonds. The courts do. Right. You know, and we don't care if you're poor. We don't care if you're indigent. You know, you're the one calling us to get out of jail. Right. So my question to Senator Trump was, was hey, all right, so you have roughly 10,000, 11,000 of these misdemeanors that are still in jail because they're poor and indigent. But what you're not identifying is how many of those people had to spend a night in jail and that considered two days, or how many of those people, you know, and I'm not throwing any, anybody under the bus here, any matches under the bus, but how many of those people sat in jail waiting for a magistrate to come in and do the arraignments? You know, the Supreme Court rules, the magistrate court hours, say that the magistrate will come in once in the morning and will come in once in the evening. Now, the 23rd Circuit, which is Berkeley and Jefferson Morgan County, has always been on point. 
they, they do they follow the rules okay but like I say I do 52 counties in West Virginia so for this purpose the last three-day weekend we had we documented 80% of southern western shut down so people that went to jail on Friday literally had Friday to at 9 p.m. or Monday 9, yeah. to even see a master to get a bond or if they get a rain and the master won't come in for the bondsman to give them a release so gotcha so and from what I've learned just in regular conversations at the magistrate's workload is very heavy yes anyway so the backlog the backlog the backlog so this just compounds on on top of itself so you would want this 2419 to just not pass yes I, I want the bill to die right so and they've been working with this since you said 2012 correct do you think it's going to pass you know anything can happen i can tell you um i don't believe there's a lot of people that are opposed to it now uh you know which really gets back to my whole political career which at my first i didn't even know i was ever going to be in the political right. arena um we've done a great job our lobbyists have done an amazing job of bringing the awareness to the parties that need to know like the prosecutors and the magistrates and the judges the sheriff's association uh and they are raising a lot of uh a lot of cane you know because right now the bill is laying on senator trump's desk he's the chairman of the senate judiciary committee he's the one that decides whether this bill gets introduced to the committee or not and you know of course this meeting we had took longer than what we thought and he had to get back to the floor but the last thing he said to, to the room was i'm not for taking discretion away from the court so the senate judiciary uh committee's attorney sat down with us and he actually had a really good uh, suggestion and it because this is such a wide range bill as he says why don't we come up with a bill with a list of misdemeanors that the defendants can be presumed to be PR'd on. Not mandatory PR, but give the magistrates discretion on what we think. But of course that's not it's not in this bill. Okay. That was just a suggestion that he made and a lot of people favored that suggestion. Man, this is some real technical legal stuff. <laughs> um well it could die but someone's gonna resurrect it a year later. Maybe. I mean, it's been going on since 2012. Well, I will say the delicate shot is retiring this year. Okay. And he's been prime, the one pushing it the most? Yes. But I do also believe that the ACLU will find somebody, somebody else to okay. take his place. What else do I not know about this bill? Well, um, the, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it here. It's it's not like it's super fat. There's only a few pages. There's, yeah, there's only a few pages. And actually, if you look through the strikethroughs, that the strikethroughs are supposed to be mean that they, that's replacing the current law. This is not the current law. This was last year's bill. They did strikethroughs and changed them. Uh, so the biggest thing is discretion. Uh, we, we don't want the courts to lose discretion. Uh, the magistrates lose discretion. The second thing is. Uh, you know, the magistrate already has a choice and discretion to PR anybody they want to. They can PR them all, or they can, you know, or none of them. So why why add unnecessary 
codes that we don't need. Third, the biggest thing is, and this was interesting in the meeting the other day, if you look at um, number three, there's a, there's a laundry list that they want these masters to determine uh, whether these people are candidates for PR bonds or not. Right. Well, the problem that is, is the magistrate doesn't have those type of resources. They, they can't do it. You know, so the, the burden of that would have to go to the prosecuting attorney's office. Well, so essentially you'd be turning every arraignment into a, a hearing, a bond hearing. So now you have to have a public defender to for, for the constitutional rights of the defendant. You have to have the prosecuting attorney to uh, be able to prove these questions. You know, like the, the ability of the arrested person to give bail, the nature, the number, the gravity of the offenses, the potential penalty of the arrest, you know, these are things that the masters cannot figure out. If you look, um, yeah, I'm looking at it now. F through J, things like uh, whether the arrested person has been bound over for trial after a preliminary examination. Uh, right. There's no way. So, especially yeah. with like with the workload that they're dealing with. Well, so now you're increasing the workload, the court's workload. So now not only do you have to have a master that's on call, you have to have a prosecutor. So you know, and we were looking at the numbers for the prosecuting attorney's office and the public defender's office to increase those numbers to cover and do what this bill is asking them to do will far exceed any jail bills they have. Right. Um, so I think we're in the right direction. Legislation doesn't end until the second week of March. So, you know, it's not over until it ends. How does somebody who also wants this to die contact your uh, local delegate well it's out of the house now so at this point uh, you need to contact your senator okay and tell them you don't want this you know, the, the more voices they hear the more they'll listen and the more they'll look into it and you know right. they, they need to be I've gotten to watch a few of the um, legislative voting and the amount of content they go through through a session i i wonder how it's insane. well read in you could be from one thing to the next you know it, I, I, there was one that talked about the disposal of tires and how they were rewriting a law for that and then five minutes later they're talking about the codes for um, barber shops and how i mean i don't know how you vote I don't know. I don't know how you educate yourself on so many topics to make a vote and to represent your constituency. Well, you they you know they have resources. Um, a lot of them depend on the lobbyists to educate them. Right. You know, and they know who their good lobbyists are, who they can trust, who they can't trust. You know, and there's I was in a particular senator's office the other day, and I was talking to him. Um, he's actual local. And I was very impressed with the fact that uh, his staff told me that he will not accept uh, contributions from organizations like the ACLU or the Americans for Prosperity or, or any organization because he doesn't want them to feel that he has an obligation or they pressure him because they finance him. Uh, I was really impressed with that. There's a lot of them out there that will take contributions. And I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong. Yeah, I get you. Uh, but you know, when you when you actually it's just human nature. If I contribute to a particular uh, organization, I expect them to do certain things for me. Sure. 
not saying that they will, but you know, obviously, it's it's a political yeah relationship. That's politics, definitely. All right, Tommy, is there anything? Um, so, I guess before we wrap up, so if if you are against House Bill two four nine one, or I guess if you're for it, contact your senator and uh, let them know how you feel about it. Um, is there anything else we missed? Anything else I need to know about? bail bonding or I mean I understand why you're driving hard at getting it killed because it's it's your livelihood it's your industry um, what, what, what else did we miss well I really nothing I mean there's always going to be a ton of questions about bail bonded uh, and unfortunately like any industry we have bad apples and good apples okay uh, you will brush up against some bondsmen that uh, you may not like you know but we all serve a purpose and bail bonding as it is cash bail in the state of West Virginia is 100% paid for by the defendant it does not cost the taxpayer a penny uh, okay for anything that we do but I promise you if you look at New Jersey's number who's the uh, basically the origin for the pretrial that's where it all began uh, that I was looking at their numbers the other day, and they've spent like $330 million on pre-trial release, and they're out of money. Wow. Um, so people need to know that pre-trial release is a great program, but it comes at a cost to the taxpayer. There has to be pre-trial release officers, more probation officers, drug testing facilities, and like I say, all that comes at the taxpayer expense. We are 100% independent from any taxpayer money at all. That, that's a great point. That's a great point. All right, well, Tommy, why, um, why should we call, call Weatherholes bonding over any other bonding? Hmm. Plug yourself, buddy. This is your chance. Well, uh, you know, we've been in business for 20 years now. Um, veteran-owned? We are veteran-owned. Um, actually, uh, Robert is a veteran. Uh, I have staff that has been in this business. Um, Hell, Nikki Orm, uh, she actually interviewed me for my first job as a bondsman. Wow. Uh, you know, and she's a great employee and a huge asset. You have Cheryl Weatherholtz, which is my cousin. She signed on with me today. I opened my doors. A lot of experience with the courts. Uh, and we, we, you know, we like to say we offer the best financing plans, but with the recent code changes, all no bondsman can cut price on another bondsman. Right. It's mandatory 10%, minimum 3% down, uh, and then you know, the balance has to be paid within 12 months. So we can't really, we used to be able to say, oh, you know, before the code was passed, we just, just go get people out and put them on payment plans. Sure. Now we can't do it anymore. So well, I would like to say we have better financing plans, but we don't. What, um, would, be a, what would be a bad bondsman? Well, I have to be careful. Um, but there are bad bondsmen out there. There's a history of bondsmen have drug use. Um, okay. History of bondsmen um, getting people out of jail for other than monetary, other money, uh, drugs, sex. You know, gotcha. None of it's ever been proven. Uh, you know, we did have a, a bondsman that recently went through some legal troubles, and uh, Judge Fairholt did a really good job. Uh, uh, she would not allow the bondsman to renew his license unless he could pass a drug screening, uh, and he couldn't, so she shut him down. Well, that, that 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 all sounds like internal understanding, but if as a customer, 
how do I know to reach out to you or how do I identify a bondsman I don't want to work with? Or is there just a... Well, I mean, generally it's first impression. How do, how, do the, how are they talking to you? You know, is the bondsman really doing what he can, everything he can do to help you? That's because that's what we do. We get paid to help you. Uh, you know, and I, I, personally, I cannot stand when I come across a bondsman who's an authoritative person. Okay. You, know, you will do this. You will do that. Or you know, I, I cannot stand that. Um, basically, say, for example, you got arrested. You call me. Hey, we're here. How can I help you? Let me give you the lowest financing plan that I legally can. Uh, and let me help you fill out that public defender application. Let me make sure you know about your court date. Uh, you, you need, you know, your car broke down. Let me come get you. Let me make sure you get a ride to court. You know, in the wintertime, a lot of times when it's snowing bad, Robert and I, both the four-wheel drivers, are out picking up defendants and, and hauling them back and forth to court Getting to make court. sure because, you know, unfortunately the courts, they're very busy and they don't have time to keep rescheduling these hearings. And you miss a hearing, they're, they're kind of non-forgiving. Right. Uh, and it, it goes from being able to postpone to now you can't postpone and you're sitting in jail. All right, so, so basically um, – it's not just a, here's my 10%, you got me out of jail, good, I'll strip the court. You're actually following up and staying with the person and Absolutely. making sure. That, every okay. one of my defendants have to check in every Wednesday. Oh, okay. So, you know, and I don't necessarily talk to them uh, because they can call the office and check in or we have a check-in system. It's an automated system where they plug in their information and then they check in and it sends us a message telling us that they checked in. But I have, there's two girls that work in the office, Cheryl and Nikki. Uh, they're nonstop calling the courts, getting court dates, calling the people to make sure they know about the court dates. You know, we have, a, they have built a really good relationship with the courts around here because traditionally the bondsmen got notified of nothing. We were the punching bags of the judicial system. Right. And um, we have really formed a great relationship not only with the courts, the prosecutors, the law enforcement. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, Tommy, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I definitely have more grasp on the uh, House Bill 2419, as well as what bond, bail bonding is uh, and how the whole process works. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by City National Bank in Ransom, West Virginia. I am Melissa Nott and manage both of our Jefferson County locations. Our Charlestown location is located on George Street in Charlestown and the Ransom location is located in the Potomac Marketplace Shopping Center. City National Bank is a full-service community bank that provides an array of financial services. We offer a range of free checking accounts and savings products for both consumer and business customers. City National Bank offers competitive low-rate and low-cost lending products for both business and personal needs. Come and talk to me or one of my team members and get products and services that are tailored to fit your schedule and help you to achieve your financial goals. I can be reached at both the Ranson and Charlestown locations. Check out our website at www.bankatcity.com.